Well, good morning. Uh, if you're just joining us this morning, you know, if you weren't with us last night, uh, welcome. Hopefully you did wake up uh, this morning joyful in the knowledge that you are born of God. Um, I talked about last night about this uh, winter con that I was at a long time ago. Um, I remember the morning after I woke up after that fateful winter con, um, when the work of God became really evident in my life. As I said last night, I began to truly love Jesus uh, that morning, and it felt like all the weight had been lifted off my shoulders and off my heart. And I do pray uh, that for all of you as well. You know, may it be that uh, my ceiling becomes your floor, and that as I began to love the Lord, so your love for him grows more and more uh, every day of your life as you live your life as a child of God. Now, how about we read some scripture before we get into the message? So Romans 8, 5 to 11. If you have your actual you know, paper booklets, I think it says 5 to 10, but it is 5 to 11. So um, the e-booklets should be updated. But if you just want to mark with your pens, it is 5 to 11. Romans 8, 5 to 11 reads this. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we start this morning, uh, we really want to know what it means to live out our calling, our identity as sons and daughters of God. There's nothing left to do except to lay down all of our regrets, all of our hurts, all of our past mistakes, and run into your arms. You've been there waiting for us, indeed more than waiting, you've even sent your son that you might win us back. We thank you for that redemption. We thank you, Lord, that you love us that much, that you would even give of your own flesh, that we might be yours. We thank you for the gift of adoption. We don't want to disparage this gift, but we want to take it up with gladness, with rejoicing in our hearts. For those of us that don't know what this means yet, would you move in our hearts, would your spirit be at work in us to open up our eyes that we might be able to see the truth of your gospel? For those of us who have lost our way, would you reawaken us, refresh us once again in our souls, that we might be able to return to our first love for you, that we might have a reignited passion for you, that we might have a deepening of our love for you. For all of us here, Lord, help us to live out our identity as sons and daughters of the living God. Help us, Lord, to be able to call you Father, to run into your arms, to embrace you the way that you embrace us. And may we, as a community, continue to encourage one another, exhort each other to greater works, and help us, Lord, to seek you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Uh, there are two ways to live, as a slave of sin or as a child of God. That's why the title of the sermon is Slave or Sin, or Slave or Son, I should say. There's two ways to live, as a slave of sin or as a child of God. You can tell I'm a little bit tired. You know, hopefully you guys had a little bit of a better night of sleep. Now, being a child of God is a gift given to us, and yet not all of us receive this gift with gladness. J.I. Packer says this in his book, uh, Knowing God. The gift of sonship to God becomes ours not through being born, but through being born again. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And that comes from John chapter 1. Sonship to God, then, is a gift of grace. It is not a natural, but an adoptive sonship. And so the New Testament explicitly pictures it. It's a free gift given to all who call upon his name. If you're not yet a child of God, then I urge you today, call upon his name. It's not too late. Receive his free gift of salvation. But do you know, brothers and sisters, you know, the people that I actually call brothers and sisters here, other son, sons and daughters of God, there still remains two ways to live, even as a child of God. We talked about it last night. You can be freed from prison, but you might not be delivered into a new life. And so you go right back to what you've been doing all along instead. It's familiar. It's easy. It's a lot simpler to go back to your old life. There have been a lot of false starts for me uh, in my life with God. You know, someone was asking earlier about the different winter cons and trying to figure out which winter con I was talking about where, you know, I committed my life to the Lord. And I thought back and I was thinking, man, I've been to a lot of uh, conferences. I've been to a lot of Christian camps and not all of them as a Christian. There have been a lot of false starts for me in my life with God. And at different times throughout my life, I even professed a love for God. I told him many times, I'm never going to turn back. And I wonder what he was thinking. Like, he knows what the future holds for me. But there was no real change in my life to show for it. No fruit, which doesn't really make sense if you think about it. If you experience the biggest change in your life, all the way down to the level of being, who you are, shouldn't the way that you live your life change too? If you experience that, all the way down to the molecular level, all the way down to the heart, what you love what you do should change. Sinclair Ferguson, in Children of the Living God, he says, we are not by nature children of God. We need to become his children. In fact, he talks about this from Ephesians, by nature we are children of wrath, not children of God. Very naturally speaking, scripture tells us we are children of wrath, so surely we must learn how to be children of God. There's a war between two sides raging inside of us, and I'm sure you've gone through this as well. Even as you sit through church service, even as you leave church on a Sunday afternoon, you think, what am I going to get into this week? What am I going to fall into? And so we fight this battle with two things. Just as there's dueling natures inside of us, we fight this battle with two things, repentance and faith. By repentance, what do we do? We turn back away from our own weak flesh and meager works, and by faith, we look to God, believing that he can complete the work in us. It has to be by both. 
After all, we can only fulfill the law with the Spirit's work in our hearts, meaning that our obedience depends on the transforming and sanctifying work of the Spirit. Your obedience doesn't depend on you. It depends entirely on the Spirit and how you give yourself over to the Spirit. Romans 8.5 reads this, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Let me explain what this verse means. Children of God fulfill the law because we have the Spirit. Slaves of sin cannot keep the law because they do not have the Spirit. This verse has confused me for many years, over a decade, in fact, where I read it. I wasn't really confused. I was just kind of looking at it in the wrong way, I think. Okay? I read it as almost a passive-aggressive command from God, given to me, telling me, you must live this way. But you can see that it's actually a description of the reality of our condition. It's not telling us how we should live, it's descriptive of what's actually happening inside of us. It's describing the reality in us for those of us who are in God. And this changes everything. A verse like Romans 8.5 should not be a burden to us. We shouldn't read this thinking, oh my gosh, I don't live this way. What am I going to do? God hates me. No, it should be rather a delightful reality that we rejoice in, even as we find in ourselves warring natures, even as we battle against our own flesh, we know and we rejoice because it describes our new condition as children of God. Read it again with that in mind. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, why is this so important? Yesterday, we talked about acknowledging our sin and idolatry because the Father has accepted us. It's because the Father has accepted us that we can acknowledge our sin and idolatry. Christ's death and resurrection are the basis for our deliverance. This is the foundational piece in the puzzle. Therefore, looking at our own sins in an honest way becomes a matter of recognizing that we have already been completely and utterly accepted and adopted through Christ. The reason why we still live as slaves is because of our refusal to receive God's grace in Jesus. We actually refuse to accept God's grace in Jesus, and so we still live like slaves. Without knowing that we're completely accepted and adopted through Christ, the reality of our sins and idolatry when we face them would crush us. We would hate ourselves for the rest of our lives if we were actually able to face our sins and idolatry without recognizing Christ as Savior. So either we do two things. We deny our sins and idolatry. We say, no, I don't have a problem with that. Or we hide them away completely. If we truly got it, if we truly got adoption, we would desire to kill our sin inside of our hearts. But not only this, we would know that we can confess and repent to them before anyone, before your brothers and sisters around you, before your parents, before your boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husbands, whoever. But why do we get so defensive? Why do we deny our sins on idolatry? We say things like, no, I don't idolize money. 
I just like having nice things, and we deny it. Or why do we hide our sins and idolatry? No, I don't have a problem with drinking. I just happen to get drunk now and then. We struggle with these things. Living in this way is to walk along the road of death. Romans 8, 6 to 8 says, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Living according to the flesh means that there's no submission to God's law. It doesn't exist in our vocabulary. Or else you try to do it on your own terms. And either way, you find that you're completely unable to please God. And there's no confession of sins if you live in this way. Why would you? No repentance, no turning back to God, no acknowledging that we're in desperate need of help that can only come from God himself, and thus, no salvation from death. Now why? Why, I ask you, why is there an inability to do any of this? We listen to the same gospel week by week, all of us sitting together at New Life or at different churches. We listen to the gospel. Some of us take it, some of us don't. Why? Why can't the unbeliever trust in God? Why depend on the weakness of our own flesh, especially if we know that our flesh is weak? Because those who live according to the flesh do not truly see God as king. If this is your issue, perhaps you can face it now. Instead, they worship themselves. They worship created things, so they can't turn for help to the God that they believe is beneath them. Even those who see the law as a means of righteousness, because they're of the flesh, no matter how much they try and get right with God, like I did all those years ago, no matter how familiar they are with the commandments of the law, no matter how much they read their Bibles, they can't actually fulfill the law. The only true hope for fulfilling the law is union with Jesus Christ, which results in adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. Let's be clear. If you still live your life, though, as a slave of sin, turning back to the prison that you've been freed from, it's because you don't believe truly that God loves and accepts you. Why does God love and accept you? This should be the question ringing out in your minds constantly. Why does God love and accept me? Is it my good works? Is it my handsome face? You know, is it just the way that I was born? No, it's on the basis of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. God's son has brought home his friends for dad to meet. And dad says, I like your friends. Bring them in. When you don't believe this, you try to fix the situation yourself by shifting the blame to other people. Do you ever do this? Like, I didn't sin. She made me do it. Really smells like Adam, right? If my parents raised me better, I'd be better. Or it wasn't my fault. I'm a product of my environment. Otherwise, we might work our hands to the bone fruitlessly, which results in us looking at all of our outward activity, all of our good works, to feel better about ourselves for just a moment. We donate to all sorts of charitable causes. We listen every now and then to our friends. And then in turn, it causes us to judge everyone else for not doing what we do. 
clear sign that we're still slaves to sin. This morning, I found myself rearing up in judgment and anger. Frustrated. This is a true story. This is like today, okay? Bear with me, okay? So frustrated about another group that's here at the campsite, very loud. I don't know why they're so loud. I do know why they're so loud. They're partying all night, breaking rules. I'm a real stickler for rules. It's very annoying to my family. I'm not proud to say that my first reaction was frustration. I'm laying in bed at like 1 a.m. like, oh, strike them down, Lord. Like, <laughs> thinking, wanting them to be cast out. I'm talking to someone this morning at early morning prayer saying, yeah, we should get rid of them. Like, we should figure out a way to get rid of them from our campsite. Judging them by my standards like a slave, still to this day, comparing my perceived holiness to theirs. If only they were like me, they'd be in bed and they're sleeping. <laughs> Instead of wanting for them to be brought near, this is the conviction that I had during early morning prayer. As I'm praying to God, as I'm thinking about whatever evil prayers that I'm praying, okay? Instead of wanting for them to be brought near, that they could know our Father's love, so early morning prayer was one of conviction and confession and repentance for me. Now here's adoption. Martin Luther says this, in the righteousness of faith, we work nothing, we render nothing to God, but we only receive and allow another to work in us. Christ's righteousness has been credited to us at the cost of his blood on the cross. And this is received by faith. So no one can boast. No one can judge others or compare. Like, I'm a Christian, okay? I'm sure you know this, right? And yet I'm confessing these things to you because even as a Christian, you still go through these things of comparison. You still go through, through these things of figuring out who's holier. Am I holier? Are you holier? But no. At the baseline of our faith, no one can boast, no one can judge, no one can compare. Adoption means so much to the sons and daughters of God because we know that we have so much that requires forgiveness and it's been taken care of and we can't possibly live in any other way. Now, if you struggle with having faith in Christ, a relationship with the living God, and you still live as a slave, it's because you haven't yet experienced real and complete forgiveness. It's on offer for you, but you haven't received it. You haven't taken responsibility for your sins. And then, because you've taken responsibility, given them over to the Savior who's offering you total and complete forgiveness, offering you the unconditional love of the Father. Verses 9 to 11 read this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. You gotta read that first part again if that hasn't hit you yet. You, however, you aren't in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed you are born of God. That means that sin is no longer your master. You can live as a son and not a slave. 
you have the right. You have the privilege. This doesn't mean that sin no longer exists. Clearly it does. We still have our struggles, and so Romans 8.10 tells us that we will physically die in our lifetimes. Perhaps you've wondered this. Why do Christians die then? Why do Christians live and then die? We're still riddled with sin. We still go through this physical, mortal world, and so we will physically die. But this shouldn't cause us to have an unbalanced view of our sins and our failures. Unfortunately, a lot of believers often go through life with this suspicion, just nagging at them, anxiety, coloring their relationship with God. Tell me if this is your story, okay? Which results in them living like slaves rather than as sons. They're always thinking about God like, oh man, when's he gonna just get rid of me, you know? We look away from the grace that saves us and look inward instead at our sins and our failures, and like slaves and orphans, we weep endlessly, crushed, believing that we've been abandoned in our sin. When God in his infinite grace continues even more to pursue us through our sins in his fatherly love. If you face your sins by blaming others, by spiraling downwards and getting stuck forever in a shame cycle, by refusing to be disciplined by God, by becoming defensive and angry, then you're living as a slave, still trusting in your own self-righteousness, rather than as a son, trusting in what Christ has done for you. This is going to be a little bit practical, okay? I've got a little bit of a chart here. I don't know if you can read this. It looked a lot bigger on my monitor at home, okay? Hopefully you can see this. On the left side is how slaves live, on the right is how sons live. Slaves believe that God's grace is there to help them to live a better life. Children of God know grace is a transforming power and has a, they have their hearts melted by this gospel truth. Slaves think that faith is about trying to do good and do better so that God and people will accept you. Sons, Know that faith is a discipline of remembering your identity and living every moment as an accepted child of God. And try to figure out where you fit in between these two categories. For slaves, obedience is always about outward actions, heart attitudes, motivations are ignored. For sons, obedience is seeking to please God first in our attitude of love and then in obeying his will. Slaves are driven by fear, They obey compulsively out of fear of rejection. They're very self-critical. Obedience is only because they think they're going to get rejected by God otherwise. For sons, Father God's, sorry, driven by love, obeys out of joy in the Father and in certainty of acceptance. You can have certainty. Slaves are built up and torn down by what others think. Others' opinions become the moral standard. For sons, the Father God's opinion is of utmost importance. Slaves hide their inner and outer failings from their self and others. They're colored by gossip, by blame shifting, by anger at other people, even races and classes. They obsess over things, they overwork. Sons are open and transparent. They're free from having to put up a front. They're able to appreciate people who are different and hurting because they want to welcome them in too. If you face isolation, if you feel like no one understands or cares or can be trusted, you might be in the left category. If you're all about community, 
You don't have self-pity because you're open and transparent with other people. You might be on the right side. Slaves despair and hardships thinking God is getting revenge. Have you ever heard someone talk like this? Have you ever talked like this? I'm experiencing hardship because God is taking revenge on me. I hear this a lot. It results in guilt or bitterness. Guilt because they know that they have done something wrong. Bitterness because they think, I've done nothing wrong. I've been perfect. Why is God out to get me? Sons learn to see discipline as a fatherly love, preparing us for future testing, and they're patient in trials because of this. And finally, slaves, repentance is the last thing they want to turn to. They only do it begrudgingly. They feel like a sense of being adequate is lost through admitting sins. Their sense of identity is lost. For sons, confession and repentance are the building blocks of being a child of God. Repentance is quick and willing because of this. You must remember this. If your faith in Christ is true, then you are united with him. That means you receive his righteousness, you're adopted into the Father's family. What happens to those born of God? The same that happens to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. As God raised him from the dead, so we will also be raised at the end of days. At that time, all will be made new. We'll live completely as children of God with no doubts, no stumbling blocks, no sin to mar our image, and redemption will be complete. All sin and death will die forever. Throughout today, a lot of these sermons, they're pointed towards your group times. Get into your group times. Make the most of every moment. Like whether or not you stay up until five in the morning or whatever, go and talk about these things. Don't talk about useless nonsense. Pray deeply with God everywhere that you can, whenever you can. Take time to ask him to teach you what it really means to be an adopted child. Spend time in openness and honesty with one another, honest transparency with your brothers and sisters here. Commit to talking about your sins, your idolatry. In that way, you'll learn how to live as children of God. Let me pray for us. Father, around me are my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, and those that don't count themselves among your family yet. Whatever the case may be, may it be that your spirit counsels them, comforts them, draws them near to you. Without you doing the amazing work of opening their eyes, opening their hearts, we have no chance. We have no hope. And so we turn to you and ask you for help. For those of us that are still too prideful to ask, we ask that you will break down our pride. We can't do it on our own. If that's the prayer of my brothers and sisters' hearts, I pray that you be faithful to answer. For all of us here, God, would you help us to rejoice in our salvation? Would you help us, Lord, to rejoice in what Jesus has done? For some of us, that might mean accepting it for the first time. For some of us, that might mean turning back, repenting, and seeking you. For 
all of us, it means a lifetime of confession and repentance. Help us, Lord, to learn what it means to be adopted by you, to treasure this adoption as this great gift of grace. May we love you. Would you deepen our love for you the way that your love is deep for us? Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name.